KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, July 19th. Light punishment for police officers. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego Unified has brought back its mask mandate indoors at all school campuses and district offices as COVID cases and hospitalizations continue to rise. Mandatory mask wearing impacts students and teachers in summer school and other enrichment programs. Richard Barrera is the school board trustee leading the district's COVID protections and protocols plan. When we hit certain thresholds, then we ramp up our safety precautions. And I think that has kept students and staff safe. The school board has not decided yet whether the indoor mask mandate will continue into the fall semester that starts August 29th. The increase in COVID cases in San Diego County has led to mask mandates in other sectors too. Masks are now required indoors at San Diego military installations including Naval Base San Diego and Naval Base Coronado. The new mandate is required for all service members, DOD employees, and visitors, regardless of vaccination status. Indoor mask wearing will be required at San Diego military installations until the county COVID community level goes back to medium or low. We will be feeling summer's heat this week as hot and dry weather returns in San Diego County. Temperatures are expected to rise today through Friday, But this week's heat wave won't last too long. Cooler temperatures are expected to come back this weekend. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. It's rare for local police officers to be fired or even suspended for shooting people or severely injuring them. That's according to a KPBS review of 475 police use of force incidents. Investigative reporter Claire Tregesser looks at why it almost never happens. A warning, this story has graphic descriptions and sounds. Sheriff's Communications, Dispatcher 6, can I help you? Hi, this is Fox over at Chilavisa PD. I got an RP that's calling actually from Spring Valley and got connected with us on 911. Uh-huh. It's about a suspicious person, possible prowler, and I've got the caller on the line now. At just before 11 p.m. one evening in August 2012, a woman called the sheriff's department. 
Deputy Luke Berhalter and his partner were dispatched to the scene. They walked up to the house but didn't identify themselves or call out to the homeowner. Berhalter drew his gun. Like I said, my gun was in front of me at a low ready. I don't recall how far my arms were extended. Something pushed down on my gun. Something made contact with my gun. Um, and as that happened, my gun discharged. This is what Berhalter later told investigators. As soon as the as my firearm discharged, um, I think I said, oh shit, or something like that. I realized that a person was there. And then I was able to see that it was a woman and that she was she was still standing, but she had she was leaning, she was bent over at the waist. And I, I think she was maybe holding her abdomen or holding her arm. He had shot the homeowner who called police. The woman was wounded on her chest and arm and was taken to the hospital for emergency surgery. The department called Berhalter's actions, quote, careless and imprudent, but he was not fired or suspended. He only received a written reprimand to go in his file. The light discipline Berhalter received is a trend, according to a KPBS analysis of 475 police use of force incidents. In fact, more than 97% of the time, officers received no discipline whatsoever, the analysis shows. And when officers were disciplined, it was sometimes for actions other than shooting or using force against a suspect. And most of the time, they were back on the street after short suspensions, if they were suspended at all. For example, San Diego Sheriff's Deputy Kyle Klein was disciplined after kicking a man in the face during an arrest. However, his discipline was for failing to document it. And San Diego police officer Elliot Simon, who tackled a man and knocked him unconscious, was suspended for one day for failing to turn on his body camera. How many people ever suspended or disciplined in any meaningful way? Not a lot. DeRay McKesson is a civil rights activist with Campaign Zero. Imagine if you had a job where it literally was just impossible to get in trouble to be held accountable. That's what policing is. Experts say there are a number of reasons why officers so often escape serious punishment, including the way police policies are written and how investigations are done. But topping the list is the strength of police unions, says San Diego attorney Eugene Iredale. The power of the police unions, uh, contract negotiations in which disciplinary procedures are negotiated, and the natural tendency of an organization and people to try to protect its own. For whatever reason, they get due process plus. The San Diego Police Officers Association didn't respond to a request for comment. Police investigations of use of force have historically been done internally within the department. Way too often you'll have investigating internal affairs officers who have a deep identification with and sympathy for the officer whose conduct is under investigation. That said, San Diego law enforcement agencies are instituting reforms, especially after protests over police violence swept the country in 2020. The departments announced in April that they'll investigate each other when an officer shoots and kills someone. So the sheriff's department will investigate a police shooting and vice versa. Police use of force expert Travis Norton welcomes the change, 
but says departments already did thorough investigations. And I understand that, that our critics would say, hey, you guys can't police yourselves. Well, in my 24 years, there's not this big thing covering up stuff. We don't want that. We don't want that. That is not what we want. We want to maintain legitimacy with our communities. It's so important, especially now. Some activists have long called on District Attorney Summer Steffen to charge officers for past shootings. But she says there is rarely a reason to do so. In the time that I've been here, I, I feel that every single case has received our full attention, our best experience, and that we've tried to provide as transparent of a process as possible. But I think the voices should keep coming. You know, if I lost a loved one um, to uh, a police officer, I would want more answers and probably would never stop asking them. Claire Tregesser, KPBS News. In a statement, the San Diego Police Department says shootings are incredibly scrutinized and, quote, while we are not perfect, time and time again, the documents are showing the professionalism and courage of SDPD officers during incredibly dangerous situations. To search the KPBS database and see a map of use of force incidents, go to kpbs.org slash police records. An emotional plea was made yesterday by a relative of a black teenager stabbed in Lakeside three months ago. Two white teenagers are charged with hate crimes in the stabbing. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado has the latest. Through tears and backed by social justice advocates, Nicole Streeter, a relative of the 16-year-old Lakeside stabbing victim, begged the community to ask the district attorney, Summer Steffen, for justice. My family and I are pleading with the community to join us and push in for the district attorney to hold accountable the teenagers and the father for the suffering that they have endured. The victim's family has been calling for charges against the father of the boy accused in the stabbing. So far, only the teenagers have been charged. Streeter claims even though the charges include attempted murder, the teens will get lenient sentences because they are white. We reached out to the district attorney about Streeter's claim. In a statement, the DA's office says they continue to investigate the incident, but the law limits what they can discuss publicly. Kitty Alvarez KPBS News. Last week, San Diego County was labeled as high risk for COVID by the CDC as transmission continues to rise countywide. iNewsource reporter Danielle Dawson spoke to experts who are worried about the long-term implications of increased infections. Post-COVID conditions, or long COVID, have been the subject of growing concerns surrounding the impact of a COVID infection. These conditions have been described as debilitating and disabling by experts, impacting nearly one in five adults who have previously had the virus, according to the CDC. As case numbers continue to rise and reinfection becomes a growing worry, experts are concerned about the potential for increased risk of long COVID, since so little is known about what causes it and how to treat it. Earlier waves of the pandemic have seen more cases of individuals with prolonged symptoms than recent ones, but given the virus's unpredictability, experts say that it will be an important thing to monitor moving forward. For KPBS, I'm iNewsource reporter Danielle Dawson. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Coming up, an update on downtown hotel workers considering protesting. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. 
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Surveillance technology in San Diego will soon be getting more oversight. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen has more on the City Council's approval of new restrictions. Privacy advocates have been calling for tighter restrictions on surveillance technology for years. The ordinance requires regular disclosure and approval of surveillance tech used by the city. There's an exemption for local police working in task forces with federal law enforcement. And critics like Janine Ericott of the Partnership for the Advancement of New Americans say that's a massive loophole. Many of us have intersecting identities. As a Muslim woman, this exemption means I'll be surveilled whether I'm going to my local mosque or seeking an abortion, and I'll never know what technology is being used to track my movements or what task force SCPD is in. The ordinance passed unanimously along with a request for future amendments to further strengthen civil rights protections. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Workers at a major downtown hotel may walk off the job this week, right as Comic-Con is getting underway. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer has an update on the labor dispute. Negotiations resumed Tuesday morning on a new two-year contract for roughly 600 employees at the Hilton San Diego Bayfront. Bridget Browning is the president of Unite Here Local 30, representing the hotel workers. If we don't have a contract done by Wednesday morning, we will pull everybody off the job and we will start protesting. The Hilton proposed a 50 cent per hour raise last month. KPBS reached out to the hotel for comment, but they didn't respond in time. Browning says hourly pay for the majority of unionized workers at the Hilton currently ranges from $18 to $21. Unite Here is seeking a $3 an hour raise per year over two years. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. A lack of affordable housing is often the most significant factor that leads to homelessness. That's the conclusion of a new book called Homelessness is a Housing Problem. It's written by Clayton Page Aldern and Greg Colburn. Colburn joined KPBS's Jade Heidman to talk about the issue. So your book outlines how a lack of affordable housing can really exacerbate homelessness in a given area. Uh, how does San Diego fare in that regard? Well, San Diego, like many other cities on the West Coast, is facing a pretty significant problem. And that problem generally boils down to the fact that it's a very unaccommodating housing market in the sense that housing is expensive, vacancies are pretty low, and there's a, a pretty uh, glaring lack of affordable housing options for, for people. And that has a direct uh, link to uh, you know, increased uh, levels of uh, homelessness. There's been a lot of debate among experts and providers over whether housing or treatment needs to come first uh, in order to address homelessness. What does the data say? 
The data suggests that um, housing is fundamental to our existence, you know, as, as human beings. And so, you know, there's, there's kind of intuitive explanations that I'll talk about and then research explanations. The reason I study housing is because I think housing is a bedrock aspect of human life. And without housing, every other thing that we care about is undermined, whether it's educational outcomes or, or uh, employment outcomes, health outcomes. Without housing, it's very hard to get good outcomes in any of those. And so when we start to talk about people who have various risk factors, uh, meaning uh, addiction or mental illness or, or other factors, trying to fix that without housing is incredibly difficult. And the research around Housing First, which is one of the primary um, homelessness interventions, is very, very compelling in the sense that if you can get people stably housed, then it's much easier to start dealing with other issues. Without stable housing, it's really hard to get people uh, the help that they need, because ultimately, you know, getting a good night's rest and having the safety and security of a home is 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 really um, fundamental to uh, improving people's lives out uh, life outcomes. I mean, so why is there still even such a debate over whether housing first or treatment first is the best way to address this issue? Well, I think I think the reason for the debate, and and I understand, and one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book is is because if you know, and I live in Seattle, and so um, we're we're experiencing a lot of unsheltered homelessness here as well. And so when people walk around downtown Seattle or in San Diego or L.A. and they see unhoused people, many of whom are likely experiencing mental illness or or addiction crises, it's easy to draw a linkage between that crisis and the homelessness. And the point of the book is that there are people who are addicted and mentally ill in every community around the country. But in many of those places, those conditions don't manifest themselves as homeless, uh, into, as homelessness. You know, Detroit has the most poor people in the nation. It's the most impoverished city in the country, and that, yet they have far lower rates of homelessness than West Coast cities do. Why is that? Because housing is available. West Virginia is the home of the opioid epidemic, and they don't have nearly the, the homelessness problem that we do here. So really what's important is the context in which these conditions occur. And so the fact that we're seeing people on the street with various vulnerabilities and risk factors shouldn't surprise us because there aren't enough houses. And if you are vulnerable, you're far more likely to not end up with housing. And so we end up equating these experiences, these anecdotal experiences with the fundamental driver of the crisis, which in my opinion is misdiagnosed. I understand why people end up with that conclusion. I just think it's a faulty conclusion. If we continue to kind of beat the drum of, of treatment, we're not going to fix this problem. We can't treat our way out of this. Do we owe, Do we have a societal and moral obligation to treat people who have issues? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're fooling ourselves if we think treatment alone will end the crisis of homelessness. That was Greg Colburn, co-author of Homelessness is a Housing Problem, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thank you so much for joining me and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.